Hello and welcome. This is Working Class to World Class. But before we go any further, I do have a little favour of you. If you could hit that follow or subscribe button, then that would be a massive help. Thank you. This episode is a harrowing story of a little girl who led a life surrounded by drugs, crime and sheer neglect. But no matter what life threw at her, she proved with a bit of sass and that streetwise attitude and know-how that she would become something pretty special in this world. Fast forward, she is now the entrepreneur of her own digital agency and she's a co-founder of a charity which helps underprivileged kids get into the world of digital. Honestly, it's an amazing story. It is extremely, extremely brave, but it does prove that no matter what happens to you in this world, you can achieve success if you put your mind to it and if you want it bad enough. Breaking through the barriers of adversity, I'm Lynn Lester and this is Working Class to World Class. So Lisa, you are up next in the hot seat for the podcast. Thank you for being with me today as always. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I think it's a particularly special day as well, being your birthday. <laughs> Thank you. I know I've, I should have had the, the candle backdrop, but never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so for, for everyone tuning in, now you're, you're obviously going to, we're going to delve into your story in a bit. And I think people have to buckle in tight because I don't think they realise what they're about to hear because it's pretty, I don't even know if there's words to describe it. But before we go there, Let's just, if you could just tell everybody who you are and what you do. My name is Lisa Goodchild and I am the founder um, of a phenomenal charity, UK registered charity called Digi Learning. I founded it with Sarah Wilson, who has been through quite a journey with me as well, which I'm sure her name will pop up uh, consistently. Uh, We support us upskill and provide jobs to underserved, marginalised young people um, and people in general, upskilling them, helping them understand the different careers that they can take. And I also have a social media consultancy and we've worked with some phenomenal brands throughout the years from British Airways to Goldman Sachs. Um, And it's been quite a journey in the beginning of social media to where social media now has been. um, Yeah, brilliant. I love digital and I love tech and it's a passion of mine. I'm a bit of a geek. (laughs) Well, it's not the word I would use to describe you, but now you can't mention it. (laughs) So, no, that's cool. And obviously, when we talk about your charity a bit, I mean, that really sort of moulds quite nicely into your story because I think you're doing it because of the life that you've had. So we're going to take a little whistle-stop tour back in time just so that people can understand, you know, at the moment you're Lisa, you're the entrepreneur, you're the owner of this charity, amazing, but it isn't where you started and actually you had a long hill or a big hill to climb. So start off with where were you born? I was born in actually Beckenham, um, Stone Park Hospital. So, um, but I didn't grow up in Beckenham. I then moved on to Next Door, which is, um, we were quite a conservative borough, the borough of Bromley, and it's an area called Penge. And when you search and look for Penge on the internet, it says where they send all the poor people of Bromley. It's a great place. It's and also it has got gentrified now, so it is really cool. It's got street art and it's you know fabulous. <laughs> but away back when you lived there, then what was it like? Oh, it was pretty grim. It was very dark. I remember the parks being full of like bags of glue, you know, lots of glue sniffing going on. I remember the 
um, estate the groves, and that was like a no go area for the police. And you know, it was it was an interesting. There was a lot of drugs, an awful lot of drugs, in particular. Also, as we go through my story, you'll hear um, elements of it. But yeah, it was quite quite dark, um, dingy, not very nice people struggling all around you, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, I mean, where, where I live in Claybank, I mean, I think it's much better now than it used to be years ago because I've never left it. And, you know, there were certain points where, you know, the fire brigades were frightened to get into certain parts in case people petrol bombed their cars or their big trucks, you know, and everything else. So it was yeah, quite a scary place that we never went as kids because we weren't allowed. Yeah, well, Penge is quite a small area as well, but it's where there's lots of connections there. And it's it's sort of got bombed out, you know, in the war. And then they built these big council estates. And to be honest, we are very lucky because we're on the connecting end of Bromley. You've got, again, it's diversity of seeing what you can be. And I think actually we are one of the lucky areas because you do see quite a bit of diversity of you know what you could become and you have a lot of professionals but as I said Penge is very cool now street art professionals have moved in you know it's changing which is it's lovely to see as well yeah no absolutely it's nice to see it built up now so when you were brought up then so you were obviously born where you said you were and yeah would you have brothers sisters yeah I've got um two sisters and two brothers there's actually 21 years between my little brother and myself um yeah quite a big age gap but me, the, first of all it was me obviously I'm the eldest <laughs> my brother came and ruined my my sunshine I swear if none of them were born I would have been in quite a good state but where it stood me and my brother we're the same age for 10 days so you know I think that my mum was a a 19-year-old, all on her own, you know, not the most particular, not very supportive family around her. My my nan had her own issues, you know. It was a bit of a repeat of, you know, life, the cycle of life again. Many fathers, <laughs> many children. Um, but it was, it, yeah, it was interesting. So me and my brother were the same age for 10 days. And then my sister, Faye, came and joined us. So we're like the really close net. But me and my brother, we were really lucky because we had each other. So we grew up, you know, just hanging, just going into the park. And as much as life was really dark and there was a lot of stuff going on, life was also brilliant and you had this element of freedom. So, you know, we were climbing walls and knocking on doors. You know, we used to, we used to hustle. We hustled from young. So we'd knock on doors and ask. We had someone we could go and get sweets from. We had someone we could go and get cereal from. We had to, you know, there were, there were good people in our area um, as we grew up. So, you know, that's what happens in a lot of communities that, do have uh, poverty you do get some really good beautiful families that go oh I'm going to look after that person they need it so yeah I was lucky yeah, yeah we always need good people at like that in our lives and it's yeah. funny you're talking about the age gaps there's 22 years between me and my oldest brother and there's seven of us so I totally know what that feels like but the yeah. the next gap's 11 years so we know I never had that kind of person that you could buddy with so that that's quite nice that you had that that's good yeah it's special yeah, it is. And so you, you've talked a couple of times, you know, and I know we're just at the beginning, but you, you keep talking about the dark times. Yeah. So do you want to start opening that door and give us a little 
Yeah, you know, um, gosh, we were like the bottom of the council estate. So there was many, many, there was lots of people that, you know, there's different layers on a council estate. You've got people that have maybe got a job, you know, you've got maybe two parents, you've got all of that. And we was in the uh, a block and they used to call it Mini Cane Hill, actually, because it had lots of people with mental health issues, um, one being my mum as well. Um, and it was really, really grim. There was always people with mental health issues, and I mean extreme mental health issues, so schizophrenia, which was an amazing place to grow up because it gave me such empathy for people with mental health issues. So, you know, I've had to help people throughout my life um, and try and help them find help. And I think the way and where I grew up enabled that. So, yeah, it was very, very dark in terms of um, that noise. And my poor mum, you know, she obviously suffered as well from massive depression I think you know probably postnatal depression she's um up and down extreme uh like bipolar and gosh there was not many things that weren't broken in the house um you know the whole house was broken we didn't have gas and electric often again me and my brother were amazing we would hustle go and ask for a pound or 50p I think it was back then um that's if we didn't chisel open the gas meter and re reuse those coins like my, half of the the general public back those then in the 80s and also it was you know the, the it was a a really grim property as well like the walls were full of sodden with damp um you know I just remember plates being smashed because of stress my mum just not knowing what to do crying a lot uh yeah and then we had a lot of uh drugs and things like that around us as well. Not my mum taking them, but my stepdad and things like that. And it was, you know, seeing someone uh, injecting heroin and things like that. It's just as a young person to see those sights. And when I think about it now, it is a bit like a horror movie, but it was a great learning. And I was lucky that I feel like very blessed that I had that journey because now I want to change things. And, you know, we're losing some of the most amazing talent out there. Um, and as your, you know, your title of your podcast says, there's people that can have such magical careers if we just, if they just have a few mentors, if they just have, you know, the door open from a pathway in. So, yeah, that is why I'm so passionate about my charity as well. And the kids that I grew up with, watching them, so talented. You know, we grew up in the Garage UK Garage days, so they're all, you know, DJing and they're MCing and and then the next minute though they they've got a gun and they're playing with it and you know shooting it and we were all just hanging around and you know or I'm watching my friend get stabbed in front of me. You know, it was just so normal and I think that also desensitizes it it makes you so you just don't you don't even see it as an issue. You see it as it's a normal thing. And if everyone around you is doing that, it is a problem and it does become a problem. And they were entrepreneurial, these young people. They were really, really smart kids. But because they, you know, especially uh, quite a few young black boys, um, we, you know, we were we were very lucky that we had that diversity element around us. And a lot, a lot of the black boys went to prison. And, I'm, you know, it was because they were black. You know, it was. Um, if they were white, middle-class posh kids they wouldn't have gone to prison and what and they go to that you know that awful youth um youth uh prison and they learn it's like a training ground for a master's or a degree and then they come out and they've had their record tarnished they haven't learned anything it's just a it's an awful cycle but you know at my age now 
it's so sad to see some of these people because you just know how bright they were. And if they just had a mentor or a bit of a different opportunity or just, you know, my brother was lucky. My um, my mum knew a lawyer. So she she got the lawyer on it and he was lucky. He was a white boy. Yeah. So he also had, again, a, a privilege. There's lots of different privileges that we all take for granted. And they're just mini privileges that um, it's sad. It's very sad. And we all know that the prison systems are full of people who have been on these journeys. You know, if they check any of these people's background, most of them have been abused as children, have been through massive trauma in particularly we know with the youth offenders prisons, 50% of them have been through the childcare system. I mean, if that's not the biggest travesty ever, I don't know what is. So, yeah, it's, it is very dark in those places. And what was amazing were things like the youth clubs, you know, um, them teaching us like photography and being able just to get out of those spaces that it was it was dark. You know, it was grim. People were taking drugs around you and, you know, no, noise, just angry noise. Yeah. it's um, And then how are you supposed to get out of that? Um, yeah, you've got to be quiet. You've got to have some people to watch, you know, an, a little angel on your shoulder. And I was lucky to have someone like that. <laughs> well, well, we'll come to your angel in a minute. But, you know, yeah. the I think the thing that's really striking and, you know, you because you, I know what it's like when, you, when things are tough, it's easy to say the words and talk about it because you're not you're not going back and reliving it but for a second you know you were talking about your stepdad injecting heroin so you imagine you're this young kid isn't how old were you I was about 11 okay so imagine this 11 year old and you see this like what's racing through your head well I was like oh my gosh I better get out of the room you know that's uh, and it Again, in all this, I was, you know, it was part of the family business. So I was selling it as a kid. And when you actually, I think, um, when you see that and when you see people going through that, I was very, I was very blessed to be that smart not to want to take it and very blessed to think, you know, that is not what journey I want to be on. And actually, those people were probably prime examples to me on why I wouldn't go down that avenue. But I might not have been. Um, yeah. And the, you are presented with a lot of, dangers that are normalized in those very very in those in those pockets of poverty there is terrible stuff that's normalized and very accepted and it is really really sad and it's really it's, it's PTSD it's you know I mean I'm really lucky I've always spoken about my journey I think that's helped me heal in a lot of ways and also the work that I do with young people I mean watching them build a bit of confidence and being able to apply for a job and get a job. And, you know, it's just amazing. So yeah, I'm lucky, but there's a lot of people that weren't that lucky and have ended up in prison or, you know, there could have, there's many stories that my story could have become. And at what age did you start sailing it then? And what were you sailing? Heroin, 13. Yeah. And I, I've burgled houses. I've stolen stereos. I did do this all as a child. Okay. Anyone. <laughs> Too many of it now. I'm at the, I think the thing that stopped me from even wanting that world was my uncle's friends. All um, it's a, a big story. They all got shot. The Essex boys in a Range Rover, and um, I think that was when I thought, God, you don't want that life. You know, that is not the life you want. Um, and I knew. Also, I just knew I was a bit different. I do remember my English teacher. They asked me what I wanted to be, and I said, Well, I'm going to be a gangster or a high class hooker. You know, basically, I mean, she must have wanted to beat me. But when she told me I was going to get an F, 
I thought there's no way I'm getting an F. Right, I've got to get a C. It's the only GCSE I've got, guys. I've got a C in English. Everything else is below. Um, yeah, it, it, school wasn't school wasn't great for me. But it's because my it's the way I, it was what I was living. You know, when you're living that noise and that you haven't got. I um, talk about this privilege that we've got, and my daughter's got a beautiful space that she can focus on and do her homework, or she's got equipment, a computer, or she's not hungry and she's got food in her belly and she's got internet and she's got warmth and all of those things we can all take for granted. And all right, it may not be our problem. We can say that. Okay, it's not my problem. It's theirs. They've had kids, but then it is a problem in the end because it's a society problem. And if we if everyone rises, we all rise together. It makes a better society for everyone. You know, your house gets burgled. Who are you going to blame? It is society that causes a lot of these problems when people get, they might have dyslexia and being treated like the bad kid throughout school. When we all know now that people with dyslexia are superheroes and that are super business people, but have not been able to channel that because school when, oh, I don't understand, you're not ticking the box. There's a lot of boxes going on and we've got to get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, it's funny because even from talking to you for the first few minutes, and, and this sort of tells me everything that everybody needs to know about you. So every time I ask you a question about you, I, I can see very clearly you're talking about others and how you were lucky and others are, are more unfortunate than you were. And, you know, so, so you, can, you can see the caring gene because obviously that was built into you from a young age. But, you know, you were saying like when you stole houses, you, you never stole houses, that'd be miraculous. But when you went in and broke into houses, were you doing that for your parents or were you doing that just for you? For for the the life we was living for my, my parents. It was for, you know, if everything I don't. I think I was very lucky actually when I got to be um be able to go and get a job. You know, I was always working doing you know babysitting that but when I was able to go and get a job and then I could buy shopping for the house and you know our struggles were just that ridiculous we weren't living it up we weren't you know there wasn't no um fancy fancy cars outside that sort of drug dealing I mean my uncle I was uh he did used to pull up in a Ferrari but he wasn't that blessed to be that type of drug dealer <laughs> He's not with us anymore. But, you know, there wasn't that. It was to it was to eat. It was for us to, you know, to really just survive. So, yeah, anything that we did do was survival of the, um, yeah. the air position that you're in. Yeah. And is that all you ever knew then? So, I mean, you know, it is, it's tragic in so many ways. And obviously it mo it's molded you to be an amazing human. But at the time, I mean, I, I can't even imagine being hungry, needing food, like, is that all you remember or was it a certain age when this started happening no, it was a certain age when it started happening it was really when my dad wasn't in our life so my dad you know he went off and disappeared for quite some years I blessed that to have him back in my life and being amazing and you know I can get him to fit my kitchen and things like that he is brilliant and he's just you know again society he clashed with society and was quite a, a genius yeah person yeah, sorry, can you just repeat the question again? <laughs> no, it's fine, it's fine, because I think these things just do, they take you down yeah. so many paths. Yeah, what age were you then when this all started happening? Um, I would say, yeah, around six. And then, yeah, that's when it started getting really tough and my when my stepdad really came into our lives because, 
you know, then it was trauma with my mum. She was mentally unwell anyway, having to deal with him being a heroin addict, then my sister being born. You know, it was a lot of stresses. But then brilliant stuff, you know, crazy stuff starts happening. Like my mum, she got a job in uh, in Soho and was working on the doors in the clip joints, which was life-changing for us because she went out with this guy called Mario and he owned some of the clubs and he paid for me to go to Malta. And But we did have diversity around us. We were lucky. As much as it was, we were piss poor in Penge, we had my, so we had a weird family. So my nan, my mum's mum, she was brought up by a lady called Countess Cathcart and went to um, a boarding school. But I didn't know this until later on in life because she left that when she was 16. She didn't want that life and ended up going out with, like not very nice men and had children and not the greatest life. And then on my other side as well, on my dad's side, we've got like the Sir Richard Needham, the Earl of Kilmory. And I met him when I was 30. So you've got this actually it just shows you how easy it is for money and for the your, your whole life to change, you know, or for somebody in your family, their whole life to be the polar opposite of yours. Um, so I was very lucky. And my, my dad's family as well, like my, my granddad was um, David Bowie's interior designer. You know, I had creativity all around me. But my mum, because she suffered from mental health issues, and that's what's very sad about mental health issues, is people don't know how to deal with it. So people would rather stay away from that situation. So, okay, Karen, she's not that well, right. Let's leave her with the kids. And and we can't see her. We don't know what's going on. You know, we didn't have Facebook back then, did we? <laughs> so you could, she'd have been going now. She would have been putting statements up there. But back then, <laughs> you know, you couldn't do that. You, you were sort of left to your own devices. And she was a single parent. We all know in the 80s, it was like, oh, you know, single parent, one of those. You know that she had lots of um, lots of labels, and bless her, she was uh, struggling to bring up uh, all of us. So what ended up happening was we ended up doing stuff as a family. You know, keeping surviving and keeping it all together as a family. But what was brilliant was when I started, when my life started changing, and I went to college, and I did a GMVQ in media production, and it was I loved it. It was like equivalent to A levels, and it was so it was brilliant. And she came to college with me, so then she then got a job, and that's you know she worked in that job for about twenty. Well, until COVID, and she got made redundant. It was Gatwick Security, and now she's security somewhere else. So you know, um, in the case Bromley. So it just shows you she given the position and given the confidence, she was like, oh, I've seen this job. Maybe I should apply for it. Apply for it got the job you know if she had been given that confidence when I was a kid my life would have been so different my life would have been so much more like my brother Giovanni's who was born 21 years ahead of me <laughs> and also he was lucky to have a really good sister that and a brother and you know older brothers and sisters who who, who were there as well to support and you know mum needs support and help so yeah um it started quite young but things change and they you know they went up and down and everything was a learning I must say I do feel like I you know I've had a lot of blessings as well because as, as we all know there's a lot there's a lot worse life we can uh, live I'm born in London a female you know there's that's just a plus <laughs> <laughs> I know it's harder in bloody Scotland so like it's really hard to crack into these big companies in London when you're yeah, you're so remote so yeah at least thank god you had something that was really going for you from birth so thank god <laughs> And, the, you know, so when you obviously, I mean, I think everybody listening and or watching 
really gets the picture. You know, it's, it's quite grim. The place is sort of falling apart. It's a rough area. There's drugs all around you. You're, to an extent, would you say you were neglected? Is it fair to say? Yeah, it was definitely. More than neglected. You know, I used to take the brunt of being beaten and things like that because of people being, you know, my mum being stressed. So I was, it was actually interesting. I was going to do media fight night because I always said I was, I'm really good at dodging a slap. <laughs> So I was very tempted, but my Sarah Wilson was like, "No, your nose is too amazing. You are not fighting. You're too yeah. beautiful. Yeah, exactly." Jeez. I used to fight a lot as a kid. I wasn't a very not. I was a quite a you know a, a handful. I wasn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was a, the nicest um, teenager because I was struggling so much. Yeah, because I can imagine. You know, it's a bit like people that are often bullied, whether it be by parents or other kids tend to vent on other people because it's just a natural cycle of releasing, I guess, that aggression and, and the grief. You know, Frank Carter from The Rattlesnakes, when I chatted with him, he was talking about how his music and this sort of angry punk music was his way to vent his frustration and anger in a really safe way. And I just that just really rung in my ears because I thought, oh, my God, like, I guess people that have been through tough times need a place to vent but unfortunately for you it was um with fisticuffs and yeah you know yeah. the street and yeah. so you, was... did, did you think you did you pick in other people because you were yeah yeah I've yeah actually in another interesting one was I remember arguing with Rachel Reeves uh who's the shadow chancellor um of the UK uh in Labour Party she's amazing and I went to school with her and we had an argument in the corridor and I I remember having a big and I remember getting dragged into the office like she must have just nipped it in the butt because I was I was one of those I was a damaged young person and the school had no idea what I was going through as a young person so how they're gonna you know and for them to deal with it and they've got 30 kids in each class and all these young people going through you know there was some some other kids that had gone through stress but yeah, what we was observing as as young people, it is it's damaging. And also, you know, there's I mean, we there wasn't one thing that didn't cross our paths. You know, everything, the trauma has uh, crossed our paths in one way or another or touched our family. And we are not the we're not unusual. You know, all right, it's not every family in the. Um, I suppose, you know, in every situation, but there, you know, there's some there's quite some big pools of uh, that bad effect and I think it it just causes so much badness in society and it doesn't need to um I was lucky though to find things like yoga and meditation later on in life and I think though those things really helped me running as well I've always been quite uh athletic and sort of channeled my energy and I only was a bully probably from the age of I'd say 13 to 16 15 you know it was a couple of years like a little bit of a I've got, and it made me popular. That was it as well. I'd come from this place where I had to struggle and, you know, punching a couple of people made you really popular and no one messed with you. (laughs) It was quite normal. Yeah, it was about your street cred. Yeah, it gave you street cred, yeah. (laughs) God, I was on the other side. So I used to, I never got beaten, but I used to get mentally abused a lot in school. And then now I think about it, it's like, I wonder what went on in their houses. And maybe, or maybe they were just bad to the bone anyway, or maybe they had a reason for it. So I was never quite sure. I don't know the answer in all honesty. I think sometimes it's people have got um, problems. I think, you know, I always tell, I always tell my daughters, please just be kind. You know, if you see someone there sitting there in the playground and they're on their own, 
go and ask if they're all right because it's not nice to be left out and i i just they and it's made them really grounded humans and they don't seem to get involved in the politics and they do seem to do that you know it's not always going to be perfect but i think if you go by those morals in life and i was lucky i did have a lot of kindness around me i had kind people you know people that did try and help us people that were always trying to make our lives better you know i was i was blessed in that way and some people don't have any of that you know they don't get taken to the seaside and you know there was kids that I grew up with who hadn't seen a beach and not even kids when they'd hit 18 they still hadn't been to Brighton you know 50 minutes down the road um I was lucky to have that diversity of you know stuff what you can be you can't be what you can't see and seeing stuff Mm. so true and so you talked earlier about your guardian angel yeah who is this amazing person well, I've so Sarah's mum, Maggie, is just the most amazing lady. And, you know, she was the one that's encouraged all of us to go to university and also used to feed most of us as well as teenagers because she had a cheesy machine, you know, the school <laughs> squishy ones. So that was um, a speciality there. But Maggie, but I've I've had the most phenomenal women. I couldn't be sorry, guys. Yeah, there's some cool men in my life. And, you know, bless the ones that have um, given me a shout out. You know, Rob Blake have got you. You know, there's people out there that have really had my back. Andy Oaks, you know, but the women, I mean, hands down, uh, gosh, I wouldn't be where um, I am today without them giving me the confidence in believing in myself as well and telling me, uh, you know, I've got it. You know, I've been on a, quite a career journey through being like entrepreneur. Um, when I finished uni, I got a first. But what was a game changer as well is when I got 96% in the class on our first piece of coursework, that was also where I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm, I am the same, you know, I can make it in this space. And I think times like that throughout my life, like people have given me opportunities and I've literally, I pinched myself and go, why did they invite me? <laughs> what am I doing here? This is amazing. Or, you know, um, I remember years ago, probably 11 years ago, when and social was getting a thing, but it wasn't massive like it is now. Everybody now knows it's really important, but for years we're knocking on doors going, it's really important. Um, but uh, June Sarpong, um, she used to have this thing called uh, We, Women in Enterprise and Inspiration. And I remember her saying, do you want to do a workshop? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then uh, on social media 101. And then I got there and like my name was on the, the window of the hospital club with like, I don't know, Lady Rothschild and Lim Frank and Kanye King. And again, another lady who's given me ridiculous um, platforms and believed in me is Kanye. You know, these women, Shah Wasman, Mary King Dawson, Melina, it's the women who have gone, Lisa and, you know, Ellie, Ellie Edwards, Scott, you know, Julia, Julia Smithy, we will call her now, but she won't like that, but Julia. (laughs) Um, Oh, Vic as well at Ginger Mate. There's so many people who lift me and tell, and if, I never, I I just didn't think I really had anything that cool going on. And they're like, uh, you know, they made me believe in myself. So I have to, I am very blessed to have the most amazing women that have opened doors for me, believed in me, lifted me, told me, you know, come on, Lisa, especially like Mary. I mean, MKD is on a different level, right? She's just, um, She's like, yeah, she is. A, she is like my. Uh, she says, "Mum." Now she's like my mum. I say, "Auntie," because she's way. Too, she looks way too hot to be my mum. 
<laughs> but she's amazing. She's a, I mean, all the people, just for people tuning in, you know, everybody that you've round off are people in your, your business and career world. And I know many of them who, and I yeah. can vouch for you, they are amazing people. But obviously that's you as an adult. But Lisa as a child, you know, you've yeah. obviously, you know, I probably don't even need to summarize it that much. People have got the memo here. So it's tough. You you didn't do well at school, one yeah. GCSE or whatever the grades are in England, but you one GSE. GCSE. Yeah. And I wouldn't get I wouldn't even get into so I wouldn't get into university now. And they would not give me a student loan because they're only giving this well, they're considering it. They're considering stopping student loans for anyone that hasn't got a maths and English GCSE. I mean, hello, you know, just cut off all of, you know, the little um pathways that we might possibly get into university now for us you know underserved and marginalized people well how did you get in then so what was the rules back then so obviously if you if you didn't do well at school what how did you get into the well, college so I was or... really lucky yeah I I sort of blacked my way in to do the media production course because I did this awful business administration course I say awful but I did learn to touch type which is the best skill ever so I did the you know a secretarial course you would have called it 20 years before but it was business administration did that that was equivalent to Four GCSEs, A to C level. So that got me on to the media production equivalent to A levels. Applied to university, found this course. It was in Greenwich. I only lived down the road. It was a um, digital media bachelor of science at a computer science school. I just thought, oh, my God, I want to do this. This this is what I want to do. And I don't know why. I've always loved tech. I've always been a bit nerdy in terms of, like, you know, my uncle giving me a robotic arm. And just I remember going to the Royal Albert uh, and Victoria Museum as a kid with school and it was just brilliant and it was all sort of cool tech so yeah that was um, a real introduction to uh, my you know degree which it, my degree was just brilliant in terms of our lecturer um, Tony Mann he was the head of uh, he was like he's he I mean he's brilliant he, he was the one that he said come and do I contacted him and I said look I haven't got the qualifications because I didn't get through and uh, he said, come and do a maths and English exam. And he said, have an interview. So I went and did a maths and English exam and I had an interview and he said, OK, you're in. And then, like I said, that first piece of coursework, getting like 96 percent. And that was a game changer for me. It really, really made. And I've actually got the coursework. We found a video of my um, it was my digital CV. And literally, I can hardly even talk. I mean, I've got to put it out there. I'm going to get it. And I, you'll just crack up. Uh, there's a video of Adele as well, when she was about 15. And we do sound very similar to each other, but it's awful. And, it, and that's a real, real problem, you know, is um, how much you discriminated based on your on based on your accent. You know, we actually think people who are posh are intelligent. There are many, many who are not on all sides. You know, intelligence should never be measured by the way uh, or your accent. It's ridiculous, but it is. But, yeah, I managed to get into university, sat at the front every single day and came out with a first. That was phenomenal. Came out and it was a dot-com crash. was like, what? There's no jobs. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, there was no jobs it was hilarious anyway I I was lucky at university I started building websites with people and sort of making some money on the side side hustling 
uh, there was a lot of uh, footballers, record uh, labels that wanted websites and nobody was really building them. And I started building them. So I made quite a bit of money doing that. And then I went traveling for a little while. My dad came back in my life and that was a real blessing. I went to the Caribbean and went to um, uh, done a lot of traveling around Spain. So that was amazing. And then I started working for a guy called Dan Wagner, who bought um, the Boo.com software. So from the crash, he had bought the Boo.com software and he had created a shop in a box. And it was uh, e-commerce times and they were taking, we were taking, it was exciting as well. It was like Ted Baker, Panasonic, Mothercare, when they were first going online. So trying to convince them to get online and, you know, it's going to be really cool. People will buy your stuff. Um, so it was a small team in Soho Square. That was brilliant. And then I fell pregnant with my daughter, started a trend at the office. Don't think Dan was too happy with that, but he was a brilliant, he was a brilliant boss. You learn a lot from Dan, you know, um, he's uh, got a lot of, uh, he's got lots of investment and things have, you know, spiraled in control and out of control. And, but he's a brilliant person to learn from. And he, he is also still a friend, actually. I did take an idea to him after I had my daughter which was a shopping comparison website, a beauty shopping comparison website, which was so ahead of its time because this was like 13 years ago. So no one was really, you know, we had the blogs and that and we had a bit of social media, but nobody was really doing the beauty stuff. It was like Lauren Pope and people were doing bits. Um, But he invested and me and my business partner, my business partner was like, Dan's an angel. I was like nah I'm not I'm not playing this game and I went right I'm gonna go and set up my own social media agency <laughs> I went off and I I went because huh, I'd been working you know we had we had 11 blogs two shopping portals by then so oh so you the beauty quest and I was like no I'm not doing this um and I went and set up my social media agency I was very lucky again to have Shah Wasmond who's a dear friend and quite an entrepreneur like ridiculous level boxing she was the first boxing manager female boxing manager she worked with Dyson uh, she was his PR company so she helped set up Dyson at the very beginning around his table like she's a real you know she was like Lisa you know question making me realize and dig deeper as well and also giving me I'd never had someone like that that was so um business oriented I'd had a lot of men around me that were business um side. and obviously I'd had a lot of illegal business around me as a kid so I picked up loads and loads of business um tips and we always me and my brother I mean on the last quarter of the year we had Halloween which was trick-or-treat which we made a lot of money out of and a lot of uh, sweets then we had Penny for the Guy which was obviously firework night and we would literally get mum's clothes stick it with paper we'd be there for about two weeks for Penny for the Guy and then obviously we had um, uh, carol singing as well so that final quarter was really productive for us. <laughs> My goodness a young child entrepreneur well oh, oh, oh it sounds amazing see the thing is you can have um Again, you make it sound dead easy, and this is how you're so humble. But, you know, so so you went to – I'm just going to take you back a bit just so people can understand this little step change. So you – obviously, you finished school. You managed to get into college to do a course, and you got your uni, and you were doing really well because you, you were driven. But, you know, you when you the part you said you started selling, like, the idea of building websites or different social things for footballers and stuff – Talk me through that. How do you, A, how do you find them in the first place and how do you convince them to use you? I don't know. I've always been quite magical at that. I don't know. People say, Lisa, you're a really good networker. And I'm like, I've no, I've never really, like, I've never intentionally gone, right, I'm going to go and network. I've gone, I'm going to go to an event and make friends. But, you know, I, 
yeah, I've no idea how I've I've always done a bit of research, looked like I remember even ha- even having to put together a CV as a fifteen year old. I had no one around me who had uh, a CV. You know, example. I um went to the. I remember going to the careers office, finding some examples. I had my mum had purchased a word processor typing sort of uh, typewriter, but with a little bit of a computer element in it, so you could sort of type it on this little mini screen and read it, and uh, you know, delete bits. Yeah, that's the stuff that we were doing back then, wasn't it? And I remember I added like a orange line onto it, and it was all because of the way I did things and made the extra effort. And I have no idea how I knew to do that, but I always made the extra effort and going to every single shop and smiling, standing there straight, you know, doing the things that you're supposed to do. And I don't know how I knew how to do that either because people ask me that. I did watch a lot of black and white movies as a kid, you know, so I don't know. I was like, I used to sort of, yeah, watch a lot of TV as a kid, but also be out and about. But a lot of like crazy black and white movies. So I don't know whether I learned um, some elements from there. I have no idea where I picked it up from. But finding those clients was just talking to people and getting out there. And that was the magical thing about where we grew up as well. Because we were, you know, the kids that people didn't want their kids playing with and things like that. Me and my brother, we moved around, you know, we we, we went all over the place and found kids. There was um, a, a women's refuge around the back of us. So we would always find the kids there, you know, and there was a rotation of kids. <laughs> we could, but what, what it gave me this, it was, this great. We'd have people from all over the world. Um, but it was such a good learning because it gave you the um, confidence and also the skill to be able to talk to anyone. And I didn't have confidence as a person you know, when I was younger, I didn't have a, I couldn't speak publicly. I could never speak on panels. I used to just completely freeze. And I've always, if I'm not confident or I feel like I can't do something, then I will try and do it more. So I will go, you know, and try and improve. So when I couldn't speak in public, I, I said to my lecturer at uni, can I come in and talk to the young people more? And he said, yeah. And I got, you know, you improve. And I remember also watching Richard Branson and thinking, he really doesn't give a shit. I'm not going to give a shit. Like, who cares? <laughs> you know, and it's about, you know, I suppose I've got to an age now as well where I really don't give a shit. I am. I, I'm just doing it what I want from the heart. I have no idea what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. But it comes in my head. I do some research. I work it out. I find a route. <laughs> you always find a route. Do you know, there's one thing that you said, actually, that's the same as me. I don't know if you know this. So the only reason I am where I am today is because I could touch type. Yeah, really? And that it's got me great. into my, That's why I got my first job at the Sun newspaper, because I remember being, well, I went to uni for one year, right? And I ch- I was about to get thrown out, so I left before I was thrown out, because I thought it would look better, <laughs> just in case. And I remember saying to my dad, we had already lost my mum and my brother, and I said, look, I promise you I'll get a job. And he was like, because he was really worried because he was getting older. Yeah. And yeah, and, and, and we we had the Sun newspaper and there was a job advert for a promotions assistant stroke copy taker. Now, I didn't have access to the internet. I didn't go to the library. And I had to get in and work out what a copy take. I didn't know what any of this meant. And I didn't. And the only thing that it said you had to have was like different skills, but, but touch type. And I thought, that's the one thing I can do and I remember getting into this interview and just hustling and yeah. and almost it was almost like I had nothing to lose because I didn't think I was ever going to get it anyway so I went in with a very different mindset I wasn't really that nervous and yeah, yeah and I got it. it's a similar story how fun is that it is, yeah yeah and it is about that it's about 
you know, just pushing those boundaries. And I think, you know, at this age now, I'm just, I, I ask and I try if you don't, you know, if you get a no, it's next opportunity and you move on. Um, exactly. And I think actually growing up the way we did probably does give you, it gives you the tenacity to be able to get through a lot and to bounce back. Um, and it was something that I spoke with Kanye King, who founded Mobo. There was nine of them as kids. You know, she had been put in a care system as well, um, due, mainly due to poverty. And it's exactly that. You learn COVID um, was bad. You know, it was bad. But when you grow up the way some of us grew up, it, it doesn't touch the surface. You know, you can survive. You know, you've got a roof over your head. And actually, I was in great position. I live in a great house and I could get to the shops and I had money to do so. So, yeah, Um it does give you the skills to be able to really, really survive in tough times. Yeah. And I guess what your story tells us, and I think it's probably similar to mine, I didn't intentionally go out to do what I do today. I think it was like I latched on to the one thing I was good at. That was my stepping stone. Then I learned something else. And then before you know it, once you get your break, yeah. everything starts falling into place. And then I think one thing that you've got, you know, for you clearly is is the hustle, right? So you've got the hustle, but you're also a people person and you had to learn that through tough times. How because you had to get fed. So you had to convince people to feed you or whatever it might be. So that is like desperate times. But but now, you know, even when I worked at the sun, I used to spend a lot of the day just chatting to people just to get and it wasn't I wasn't doing it for any contrived reason than just I'm a bit nosy anyway and I, I quite like people. Sometimes, sometimes I, I don't like people, but most of the time yeah. I love people. But, you know, but so it sounds to me as though once you get your foot in the door, you did, you know, you were good at building sites and things, then everything just clicked into place. And then it became, unless I'm wrong, it sounds as if it didn't really become planned after that. It just became serendipity. It didn't become planned. And I was, was extremely lucky. As I said, Shah came in my life and that's when I did my social media agency and everything. And um, I was lucky to do the Marketing Academy Foundation as well. Gosh, that was nine years ago now. And that was life changing because you go through such a journey and you meet such brilliant people. And I did, don't get me wrong, when I was in the room with 30 people, I was the different one. Again, you know, I was the one with the accent. I, you know, everyone thinks I'm from Essex. I'm like, there's many forms of common people. Is is your education that limited that you don't realise I'm a South East Londoner? <laughs> <laughs> You know, but um, I did feel, you know, a little bit of an alien, but there were such beautiful people that I, they then made me feel, again, they were like, oh, my gosh, you're amazing, Lise. What? And it is the people around me that have lifted me. And that was a brilliant, brilliant journey because it was all about, um, you know, the living leader, um, this amazing, another la amazing lady called uh, Penny Ferguson who does the living leader. And she just teaches you about what's your passion, what do you want in life, you know, how to... Um, talk to people how to get your message across um yeah it really took me on quite a journey and I think it was there that that's when I started knowing that I wanted to do something for all people really I've always been passionate especially about women but young people from underserved and marginalized backgrounds you know because all people do need help this and at the moment actually there's some awful reports where have just shown it doesn't matter where you're coming from actually as a young person their confidence has been stripped they don't they're not getting taught the skills that they need to get taught they don't understand the industries that are out there and it is a real problem and covid has you know knocked some of these young people um knocked their confidence 
and it's time. And what's beautiful about when we bring people together on Digi Learning on our programs, you know, 80%, 90% are from the UK, but some of them are from different countries and just, and they're all from all over the UK as well. And just watching them all come together and build this network and, you know, really, really connect with each other. Like young people don't see, see boundaries. Um, the older generation, I'm afraid, do. And it's something that the older generation is going to have to get used to because these young people are here to stay. And actually, they're going to be looking after us soon. Just to say that, people, <laughs> they are going to be, they're looking after us. We need to look after these young people and ensure that they have the confidence and they have the pathways to progress because there's some talented, amazing people out there. And, you know, that's what makes you such a wonderful human. You know, the fact that you lived what you lived and now it must feel so good that you give back to so many people. Because once you see them, you know, you're building their confidence, you're helping the people that are broken and damaged in different ways. And then to see them being accepted, whether it be a job, a placement, whatever it might be. I know I'm mentioning one of your brilliant people right now who is she's amazing. You know, and, and yeah, that must just be a real sense of, of pride to know that, you know, that, you know, if, if people didn't help you, then where would you be today? So I guess it's, you know, giving back. Yeah, totally. It is giving back. Um, Yeah. And it really, like you say, it's just, it's such a journey watching these young people and having Sarah by my side as well. Um, You know, Maggie was my guardian angel as I, when I was a youngster, um, Sarah's mum. And Sarah's been through you. She was in uni with me as well. We went to college together, uni together. She took a year out, um, went traveling. I stayed at uni and we sort of, she went into the more corporate route, training, euro money and I went to the entrepreneur and then we'd come back together and having her by my side and she really understands me as well as a human um gets how I tick and is there you know because we all have times when we um you know all doubt ourselves or don't get stressed you know don't know what you're doing in life and Sarah's there to to cheer me on and to um support me but yeah um life it can throw some really, really big balls at you. But yeah, you can learn to juggle them and you can learn to catch them. You can definitely learn to dodge some of those balls. <laughs> I wouldn't I can agree more. Even Jim Kerr from Simple Minds said, if you've listened to his interview, he was saying that when one of you have an idea, people might think you're crazy. Yeah. But when two of you are in it together, everybody else is crazy. Yeah. You know, and I think that sounds like that kind of like sisterhood that you've yeah. got Sarah, who, who's also amazing. So, yeah, I mean, see for you, like, you know, I, I guess, you know, I talk about working class people. Now, this isn't just about working class people. It's about people that have overcome adversity in different ways. But obviously, working class is the, the key hook for, for everything that I'm doing here. But do you think there's certain things that working class people have that others don't? Yeah, I do. I think they can solve problems. You know, when I look at my... My younger sister, she's got five children and she was like, I've got no skills. I've got, you know, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you feed 15 people before you feed yourself a day. Okay. Right. Let's just imagine that's a skill. And it's, <laughs> you know, um, the, the things that get chucked at you, the situations that you deal with on a regular basis, um, you know, if you were just given a time to breathe and um, the beauties of some of the privilege, like my my beautiful young daughter has, a, a, you know, a, a beautiful surrounding, as I was saying, to study. And if you've just given those elements and just the hug sometimes and things like that could just, you know, change your your path. You get so stuck in, as I said, what's around you and what's in your bubble. It's, um, yeah, a really dangerous situation, what we're playing. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I think this is probably one of the my favourite chats actually of this series because 
literally if you put it down in paper you're the person that shouldn't really be where you are today if you look at it in black and white terms you know you defied all the odds I mean who would have thought a 11 year old kids watching this our stepdad inject heroin robbing houses selling gear I mean friggin heck like you're living proof that if you know anyone can do this but obviously what you've got is a tenacity the hustle the dream the belief um, and you're giving it back to people. So thank you so, so much for being part of this. Oh, thank you. And I want to say thank you to everyone that supported me because I would not be where I am without the amazing people that um, give have given me the confidence and have told me I'm great. And if, you, Lynn, asking me to come on this, you know, again, another pinch moment. So thank you for uh, everyone. Let's change some more young people's lives. Let's and do other- it. Let's do it. <laughs> thank you.